Thank you, Tabitha. Thank you, Carr family. We will certainly miss you. Children, you are dismissed to head downstairs. Just have a couple weeks left with the cars, so make sure you um, reach out to them and let them know how appreciative we are for them to come all this way out to Idaho from from the south and uh, from Tennessee, Virginia area to come and minister with us. Uh, we're certainly going to miss them. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to be finishing out uh, the end of the first chapter of Mark. It's only taken two months to do that. But I pray that um, this is an opportunity, like we started off this sermon series in Mark, uh, to reflect on the fact that as uh, that Scripture declares to the Apostle Paul that as we behold and we look unto Jesus, right, the Spirit uses his, the Word of God as we behold Jesus and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, that the Spirit transforms us into His image. And so this is good for us to just to go through verse by verse and, and behold Jesus in that way. And we're going to be in verses 38 through 40, as Jerry already um, read for us this morning. Uh, well, not, we're, they were not just 40, but the, the first couple, my first point is 38 and 40. 38 through the end of the chapter is essentially where we're going to be at. So let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to, to help us with this. Father God, we come before your throne, and we just are so grateful, Lord, for that opportunity, for this opportunity to be able to, to come before you this, this morning, to have your word in front of us, um, your inspired word that in which you've um, revealed who you are and your purpose of salvation in Jesus, all these things that you've specifically and specially revealed to us in your word. We're so grateful to have the freedom to be able to, to open it up and to proclaim its truths. And uh, we want to acknowledge you, God, as the giver of all that is good. You're so faithful to us. And um, we're so grateful uh, that your word says that we can boldly become your th- before your throne of grace because of what Jesus has done. And we can come to you in our, with our prayers and ask, Father, that you would do a work in our hearts that your word declares that uh, your spirit dwells within the hearts of each of in, and every believer, that we are the temple of God. And we, we ask, God, that you would move in us, that you would transform us this morning, that you'd help us to lay aside all the distractions that are in this world, that we might spend these next few minutes focusing in on your word and what Jesus has done, and now how that applies to us, Lord, that we might uh, be reminded of your love yet again, that we might be refreshed with, and uh, your measure of grace be poured out upon us this morning as we seek you in your word, we ask for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so our first point this morning. So we, uh, as we've been going through the gospel of Mark, we've seen how Mark um, has recorded for us. Uh, first, he's demonstrated and recorded for us who Jesus is. He's the, he's the son of God. He's the uh, Messiah that was long promised in the Old Testament. We see the beginning of his ministry through his baptism uh, being done by John the Baptist who prepared the way for the Lord. That was also prophetically 
prophesied in the Old Testament that, that uh, someone in the, the, the likeness of Elijah would come and prepare the way of the Messiah. John the Baptist does that through his baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. We've, we've covered all those things. And then uh, Jesus identifies symbolically with our sin, the problem with, uh, that we have us as sinful people in the eyes and, and, the, and the, the understanding of who our God is and His holiness, and that He cannot dwell in the presence of sin, that since the fall that happened in the Garden of Eden, humanity has this huge problem with their Creator and that we're separated by Him because of our sin and that Jesus comes and symbolically identifies as He takes upon the form of a man. He comes from heaven as the second person of our triune God and He takes upon the form of a man and He symbolically identifies with our problem. He's come to, to uh, arrest or to to be the, the sacrifice or the atonement of our problem of sin. He symbolically identifies that through his being, him being baptized by John the Baptist, and then he literally identifies with our sin problem by what? By going into the wilderness for 40 days and being tempted. Just like you and I. So we have a high priest who, who knows what it's like to be human and to, to live in this world of temptation and the, the fallen nature that it is. But the distinction between Jesus and any other person that was to, is to walk this earth is that he was tempted yet without sin. He was the God-man. He is the, the spotless Lamb of God who has come to be the sacrifice for us. And Paul or Mark makes, begins to record this historical narrative of Jesus and who he is and what he's claim, who he claims to be. And then he gives us, uh, in the first chapter, he begins to record for us uh, the demonstration of Jesus' authority for doing those things, right? If anyone can say they're of God and they've come to save mankind from their sin, anybody can say that, but, but the question comes down to authority. Who has the authority to do that? And Jesus demonstrates, Mark records for us, how Jesus demonstrates his authority over creation as God, not only man, but 100% God. We started off with him uh, casting out a, a demon out of a person, and then he, he healed Paul's or uh, Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. Right? He's demonstrating his authority, his, his divine power in his creation over sicknesses and possession, uh, Possessions of the de- of the of demons and such, he has power over the physical. He has power over the spiritual. He is God in the flesh, and these weren't just outliers. Mark goes on to record for us that he he went and began to heal various diseases, not just a specific fever, but any type of fever. The to- entire town of Capernaum was coming to him and asking to be healed, and so he began to heal various diseases and cast out many demons and as we talked about last week it became more about uh the 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 excitement of and the fervor of what he was doing in demonstration demonstrating his authority uh it quickly became about what he can do in the physical in the these these uh healings as opposed to the message of the kingdom of god drawing near in christ and his ultimate answer of what our true problem is and that is of sin the town began to be more about what he could do in the healings as opposed to what his message was. And so we, we finished last week uh, 
in verses 38 and 39. So let's go ahead and read those as a reminder. And he, he said to them, he's uh, in, uh, in a, a, a desolate place. He's praying alone to the Father. Everyone's looking for him because they want more miracles. So his, his disciples begin to look for him. And they're saying, look, everyone's looking for you. And, and Jesus says, no, it's not just about the physical healing. It is about the message. It's about the proclamation of the gospel. In verse 30, he said, he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I what, what do what? May preach, proclaim the good news, the gospel there too. This is why I have come. So yes, the demonstration of his authority and the healing of, of the sick and the um, casting out of demons from people are, are tremendous and, and just amazing. But as we just, just talked about last week, we know these things are all for those people that, that happened where Jesus healed them. They were temporary. They might have had a disease. Jesus might have healed them, but ultimately they ended up dying from something. It's so important for us to always keep keep our mind and keep our, our eyes on the fact that it's about the spiritual, it's about the eternal that Jesus ultimately came for. What Jesus has done in, with our problem of sin. And he wanted to go to uh, as many places as he can to preach the, the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. That he was going to be the means in which God provided a sacrifice, an atonement for our true problem, our eternal problem, and that is our sin. This is why I have come. In verse 39, he went into Galilee. So he went into, he was in Capernaum. All the entire town was coming to Peter, mother, Peter's house. And, and um, he says, let's go other places so that I can preach this good news. He went into all Galilee preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. And so, yes, he, he would go into a town in, Gal- in the Galilean region. He'd proclaim the good news, but he did also demonstrate his authority. And this is captured for us, right, by God's, uh, God, the, God the Spirit. He, this is his word. He, he caused Mark to write these things down for us and uh, God's promise of his preservation of his word so that we in 2022 can, can see that we can place our faith in Jesus because he's claimed to be this Messiah that has been prophesied and we have a historical record demonstrating the fact that he had the authority of God to heal and to ultimately be the answer for our sin problem. Verse 40, then a man with leprosy. So all these things have happened. He's in the Galilean region. And then here's this man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, make me clean. That's his question to Jesus. I know you have power and if you will to do so, you can make me clean. What is a leper talking about when he says to Jesus, make me clean? And this is, again, tied back to the Old Testament, the ceremonial law that is found in Leviticus. And in the ceremonial law that's found in Leviticus, leprosy is considered, considered ceremonially unclean in the ceremonial law that's found. It's a... Unclean is a, a defiled state in which you... you cannot serve God and you you have to be separated from society because of this uncleanness this undefi- this defilement 
And in the ceremonial law in the Old Testament times, uh, and in Jesus' time ultimately, because they, you know, they were a Jewish, the Jewish nation. They were trying to f- carry out the law that was given to them by their fa- forefathers through Moses. And so there's different types of law that is found in Leviticus. There's the ceremonial law that we're talking about today. Uh, these are ceremonies that are, are laid out for the children of Israel to do to remember what God has done in, in times of the past. Um, it's also instructions on how to regain a right standing with God after you've been defiled, if you've, if you've touched a dead body, how you can become clean again. Uh, all these different ceremonial things, and uh, leprosy was considered to to be a, a state of uncleanness or defilement. There's the the moral law that's expressed in in the Ten Commandments, right? This is the moral law that demonstrates God's holiness and how how perfect He is, and and what is right and what is wrong, and and it ultimately in the New Testament context, this is the means in which we can see and, uh, and try to examine ourselves and see how much we fall short of God's standard that he's established in the Ten Commandments and his moral law that he's given to us. If that is the standard, we, we, we fall short every day and points to this need to understand this, this, this greater need that we need a Savior to save us. If we are to be restored back unto God, if we are to have eternal life with him, it can't be in our own righteousness because we fall short. We violate this moral standard every day. Praise be to God that Jesus has come. And there's the judicial law, the, the civil. If there's something, if you, if you killed somebody's, your neighbor's ox, what, what, what was the law for to repayment and all those things? Those are all laid out in Leviticus. But today we're talking about the ceremonial law and specifically leprosy, this skin disease. In Leviticus, it lays out what a person is to do. He's supposed to go to the priest and be examined by the priest to, for the priest to determine if this skin disease that this person has is this leprosy that causes them to be undefiled. We see that. I just wanted to read a few verses so we can kind of get a flavor for it. In Leviticus 13.3, And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. And when the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean, defiled. And he goes on, the mosaic goes on to describe what this person who is examined to be defiled with leprosy is to do in verse 45 of Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. This leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, right? And let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover up or cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Verse 46, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. And he is unclean, he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. It's a very serious thing, even in the time of Jesus, that these lepers were considered to be defiled and unclean. And they were outcasts of society. They not only were forced to live alone and outside the walls, city limits, but then if they encountered anyone else, they were to right to cover their upper lip and be, declare themselves to be unclean. Unclean. These are humans. Can you imagine the shame 
that they bore. Not only did they have to put up with the physical ramifications of this skin disease of leprosy, and, and just uh, just so you know, the, the Hebrew word leprosy is a word that uh, it falls under. Many skin diseases fall under the, the Hebrew word of leprosy. So it may not be the leprosy that we, you and I think of today, but it is obviously this, this, this disease that was going around. And uh, obviously a skin disease of some sort that caused, as the priest examined them, to, to, for these people to be set outside the camp, to live alone, to be outcasts. And the shame that they carried must have been tremendous. And if we look into Leviticus, you'll see that there's a, a ceremony for someone who has been cured of leprosy to be able to come back to the priest so that the priest can be re-examine the skin disease and declare this person through ceremonial offerings for this person to be clean and, and indeed and reunited with his family and with his community. But as you look into Leviticus, you'll see that the law does not provide a means in which a person that can be healed by leprosy. If the disease leaves, there's a ceremony to follow to make an offering to God so that this person can be ceremonially made clean again. But the law cannot or does not lay out a way for a person to be cured of leprosy. And in verses 41 and 42, back in Mark chapter 1, we see this awesome demonstration of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus could do in His earthly ministry, through His authority, His divine attributes, He could do what the law could not do. He could heal someone from leprosy. And that's what we see Him do. Moved with compassion. Jesus moved with compassion not out of duty, but out of compassion for those who are affected by the consequences of sin, disease, demonization, leprosy. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out His hand and touched Him and said, I am willing. And He told Him, be made clean. Jesus could do what the law could not. He could make someone instantly clean. And we see the, what happens immediately. The leprosy left him. And he was made clean. It's interesting how Jesus has compassion and reached out his hand. Right To, to touch a leper was to, to, to be immediately defiled yourself that you would also have to go through all these ceremonies to, to be uh, made clean again. If you were to touch a dead person or uh, someone with leprosy, you were defiled and, and had to in, in, you know, go through the steps in the ceremonial law that's laid out in Leviticus. But Jesus, with his compassion, what does he do? He reaches out his hand to a person who with leprosy is not to be touched. He makes that physical connection. He holds on to him with his hand and touched him. And I pause on that because I, Gracie, my oldest daughter, and I had the, the privilege and the blessing to go to India about six years ago now to do a missions trip there. And part of our missions trip was for us to be able to visit a, um, 
a leper colony there in India. And uh, it was very transformative. It was very powerful. Because in India, they have the caste system. Right? And they, they believe that depending on what you did in your previous life um, determines what you're, what you're having to deal with in this present life. And so they, they viewed the lepers as those who uh, did not have a previous, good previous life. And so they, their judgment uh, because of their previous life was to be lepers, leprous. And they, were, they are treated as the untouchables and defiled, and to be shunned. Because not only are they dealing with this physical problem, but um, their, the religious um, beliefs of that area was that they deserved it because of their actions in their previous life. And so when we went there, our, our host told us, the, the best, the greatest thing you can do for these dear people is to touch them and to hold them and to hug them because they don't ever are never touched from people outside their community. And it was so powerful to be held and to see someone just infused with um happiness because you've reached out your hand and you've, you've touched them, you've made a physical contact with them. And uh, it was very powerful for both Gracie and I to see the shame that they were dealing with, that they lived with on a day in and day out basis and being made to be outcasts. And so every time I see Jesus moving with compassion and, and touching this, it's just, it makes it all the more clear to me why it was important for Jesus to reach out and touch this man. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. And Jesus healed him. He could do what the law could not. That does not mean that Jesus came to destroy the law or to supersede the law. Right? Jesus came to fulfill the law on our behalf, and we have to make sure we understand that. He, Mark 43 and 44, let me just share with you, although in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is proclaiming his just wonderful Sermon on the Mount, and he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or supersede it or anything like that, or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill the law. He came to do what you and I could not do, to fulfill the law perfectly. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not of the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus came to fulfill the law. This law that is in Leviticus 14.20, that if a sermon is to be healed for lep- from leprosy, he's to go back again and present himself to the, to the priest. And so the priest can alone determine that the, the, he's been healed or the, the skin disease, the leprosy has left and that they begin to do the offerings that are laid out in Leviticus to make this person clean and of use and back, be accepted back into the community. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar in Leviticus 
So as the priest determines the disease to be gone, these offerings, these ceremony offerings are to be done. And thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. And so that is what the law demanded for those that were healed of leprosy. And that gives us the context in which and why Jesus told this leper, or this person that was healed from leprosy, to do what he was to do next. Verse 43 of Mark chapter 1. Then he, that's Jesus, sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. This man being healed from leprosy, Jesus coming to fulfill the law. Jesus knows the law, and this is what is to happen according to the ceremonial law that this man who was healed from leprosy was to go to show himself to the priest and to fulfill the ceremonial law. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And so we see Jesus doing what the law could not do, but yet fulfilling the law perfectly. It's just an amazing passage of Scripture. We had the Lord's Supper today, and so I wanted to be somewhat briefer. I wanted to go on, but uh, I, I just wanted to just talk a little bit about the application that, that maybe you and I can take from this passage of Scripture. We, we see what God has laid out for us. We see Jesus demonstrating His authority, doing what the law could not do. But this idea of shame is, is, is something that all of us deal with as humans. Shame is endemic to us because of our fallen nature. Because shame is really a fruit and a direct and immediate consequence of sin. All of us deal with this idea of shame that, the, that is shown to us in this leper. Or this idea of leprosy being this uh, undefiled state. And it's endemic to us all. And again, it's a consequence of sin. Before the fall in Genesis chapter 2, God created man and woman, Adam and Eve. And in verse 25, both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Right? They existed in this pure state. The fall happens. And what are the consequences of the fall? What do they immediately do? They hide from God. They take leaves and begin to sew, show garments, sew garment, make garments to cover one another because they went from the state of no shame to, to shame. Because of their fallen nature, they, the, the consequence, the fruit of their guilt of sin demonstrated itself in shame and they, they hid from God. And this exemplifies to us what all of us endure. In some sense, the shame, and I'm sure we don't need to do a raise of hands this morning, but I'm sure all of us can point back to times in our past where we feel shameful of what's happened to us by someone else or what we've done to other people. This idea of shame and this feeling of what is, how does the fruit of shame look like according to the leper and ultimately to us, right? You, you feel like an outcast. 
You feel like you don't belong. You feel don't feel you don't deserve you feel like you don't deserve love from other humans because of the shame that you might carry with you. You feel naked while everyone else around you is walking around on your clothes. You feel exposed. And you're seen by others. And what you, what you think people see of you is not pretty. You feel like an outcast. You feel unclean. Like something's wrong with you. You feel dirty or contaminated. Maybe you don't say it with your lips, but you feel as if you meet when you encounter people, you have to put your hand over your lip and say, unclean, unclean. All of us have the ramifications of shame in some sense in our lives because of the consequences of sin. There's consequences to disobeying God. And all of us have this baggage that we deal with and the consequences of our sin and how that is immediately demonstrated in our lives. We don't talk about it much. We've become pretty good at, in our modern culture, right, to put our best face on, show up and tell everybody everything's fine, everything's doing great. But I venture to bet that all of us, as we think about it and contemplate it, deal with this some sense of shame, this consequence, this idea of feeling unclean or an outcast. And that's the good news of the gospel as well. That Jesus came to take care of sin and the guilt of our sin, right? Guilt is more an idea of justice. And God says we're guilty. We're declared in a judicious sense that we are guilty of our sin and we, we deserve a payment. We deserve a judgment. But the shame is what we take on. Our understanding that we fall short. That we can't do enough. Whatever we do is never enough. And all of us deal with that. And it's the consequence of our fallen, broken nature. But we see Jesus coming to heal us. Not only make us righteous and taking that judicious payment upon Himself, but to heal us from the shame that, that we walk with as well. Jesus, with compassion, reached out and touched the leper and said, Be made clean. And through what Christ has done, He's declared us to be clean. We don't have to walk in the shame of our past. We don't have to be identified with our shortcomings, with the feeling of not measuring up. We don't, no longer, if you're in Christ this morning, have to identify with who you were. Scripture calls us, by way of our application, to walk in our new identity and given to us in Christ. Christ has made us new. That is the identity we are to put on. We are to put off the old. Every day, every moment of every day, 
Our identity, if you're in Christ, is no longer who you were. Your identity of being uh, not measuring up or unclean. Your identity is now in Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That applies to females as well. You're a new creation. God has made you new in Jesus. Yes, God, Jesus has come to save us from the judgment that we truly deserve because Jesus took that judgment upon Himself. But as Christ followers, we are to walk in that new identity He's given us in Christ. We are a new creation in Him. The old has passed away. It's buried with Jesus. We are raised to newness of life. Let us desire to allow the Holy Spirit to demonstrate this new identity in our lives more and more and see the new has come. That is who we are in Christ. We no longer have to identify with the shame of our past. Christ calls us to identify ourselves with who He is and what He's done for us and the new creation He's made us. What a blessing it is to see what He's done. And as we go to the Lord's table, we're going to sing a song after I pray, and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. But may just this be a time for you to ask the Spirit to help you walk in your new identity to help him, allow him to help you bury those things of the past that you hold on to and you identify yourself with. That you would walk in newness of life and be the new creation he's created you to be in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, God, to be reminded of what you've done for us in Jesus.